Serve God in your generation. From Acts chapter 13, verse 22 and verse 36. Read those verses again. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Verse 36. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Now this morning we look at, we're going to concentrate on verse 36, this this beautiful, very compact short, short verse about a man who we look we look upon as Israel's greatest king, King David, the man after God's own heart. Now this, this verse is really a, a wonderful epitaph on the life of King David. And what are epitaphs? Epitaphs are the things that people put on, on tombs. After they bury them, they put something about the life. It's some, something that summarises the life of the person that is is buried there. And it summarises his life so, so perfectly well. It's, it's obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Luke, who's, who's put these words in, through the Holy Spirit, put these words in the Apostle Paul. Nice words, but they are really beautiful about the life of the great King David. Now, epitaphs, like, like I've explained, uh, particularly I think is, is an art that used to spend a lot more time in epitaphs in the old days than what they do now. And people used to be a lot more honest about the epitaphs, where the, you see people try to say good things about the deceased, and it doesn't matter whether they were good or bad, they tend to just, just focus on the good things it doesn't matter what they've done in their life. We're just going to put something on the tombstone that, that will, will be nice. But it wasn't always the case in years ago. Now, here are a few examples. This is about a guy called Beza Wood. He lies one wood enclosed in wood. One wood within another. The outer wood is very good. We cannot praise the other. This, this is in Ribbersford in England in a cemetery. The children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old Clark Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. <laughs> um, this is to a, guy, a fellow named Lester Moore. Lester Moore, buried in, a, in Boot Hill uh, Cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona. Tombstone was a famous uh, place in the cowboy days. All right? and, and, yeah. um, and this is what it says. He lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more.
um, in Thurmont, Maryland, in a cemetery in Thurmont, Maryland. He lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. It's funny and sad at the same time, isn't it? Sir John Strange, uh, this uh, Steve, you're going to appreciate this one. Sir John Strange, he lies an honest lawyer, and that is strange. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as part of his missionary trip, Paul the Apostle sailed into Pisidian Antioch. Now, on the Sabbath, his preaching style, what he did is he went into the synagogue. This was his custom when he, whenever he entered a city because part of the practice in a synagogue is that anyone, especially visitors, are given a chance to speak. And he never missed an opportunity to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. What usually happened is that he would preach the gospel and he would be kicked out of the synagogue, but at least it was, it was like the first shot of an arrow. That was the first shot into that city. And from there, most did not believe, but some did believe. Now, after establishing common ground with them, he goes through the Old Testament history and picks out a few highlights of the Jewish history. He recalls the slavery, the exodus, the 40 years in the wilderness, the period of the judges, and then he brings David the king. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Let's break up this verse and see... This, this wonderful epitaph, and look at some spiritual lessons for us. David served. David was a king, yes, but first and foremost, he was a servant, a servant of God. Servant here comes from the Greek word doulos, which is a slave, a bond slave. It talks about someone who is no longer running his own program at their own disposal. It's no longer someone who does what they want, no longer putting their own needs first. They have to put their lords, their masters' needs first in everything. He is at the master's beck and call every moment, following orders. Christian service means first and foremost living out a submitted relationship to Jesus, the servant king. That's what it means. Christian service means, first and foremost, living out a submitted relationship to Jesus, the servant king. In our world, we tend to put people in different scales, where they live, how they are educated, how much money they have, what family they come from. That's how we tend to place people. 
Spurgeon, the great preacher Spurgeon, once asked, do you know that there is such a thing as glorifying God by sweeping the street crossing? If two angels were sent down from earth, uh, were sent down to earth, two angels, Spurgeon said, if two angels were sent down to earth, one to rule an empire and the other to sweep a street, they would have no choice on the matter so long as God has ordered them. So God, in his providence, has called you to work hard for your daily bread. Do it to his glory. End of quote. You see what he's getting at? What does Christ set his servants to do? Jesus himself showed at the Last Supper when he took the slave's job and and, and washed the disciples' feet. In our series in John that we'll be restarting uh, soon, we're going to be looking at that episode. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, stooped to serve us. And David, the king, served. He served God. He served others. He was not too proud to be thought of as a servant by others. He was considered one of the people. So much so that even his wife despised him for mixing in with the crowd, with the normal population. Servanthood is and always will be an issue of the heart. For those who are not believers and work in the service industry. They could be restaurants, hotels, shops, whatever they may be. They do it mostly for the need to sustain themselves and their families. For the most part, love is not their greatest motivation. But it has to be somewhere down there to be able to the ability to serve people whether in a hospital, a nursing home, anything else, because otherwise there has to be some job satisfaction for the people that they, that they serve, otherwise they will not last. But when it comes, if you are part of God's kingdom, you are working in God's kingdom, love has to be the greatest motivation. Love for God, love for his people. If I do what I do grudgingly or half-heartedly, I should expect no reward because, as Jesus said, even the tax collectors and pagans love those who love them. That is the normal way of the world. You treat me nicely, I will treat you nicely. That's the way it works. And then comes in Matthew 5.47 those haunting words, those haunting words. What are you doing more than others? I find these words very, very challenging. What are you doing more than others? Jesus is getting personal, isn't he? Everybody else behaves this way. What about you? True servanthood comes from seeing that God loves me 
so much, he loves you so much. And so because of the love that connects us, I will serve him and as I serve you, I'm serving him. So who or or what did David serve? Let's continue in in our verse. David served God's purpose. David served God's purpose. And before he was anointed king, David was a shepherd boy. Even after he was anointed by Samuel, you recall the episode, where's this, they're not here, where's the little one? Bring him here. Even after he was anointed by Samuel, it was God's purpose that he continued to serve as a shepherd. Being a shepherd was his apprenticeship. The hard yards. It's not as if Samuel comes and, and anoints him and suddenly he's, he's promoted to the top. No. He had to continue with his normal life. It was God's purpose that he be a delivery boy and this day will be Uber Eats to taking lunch to his brothers on the battlefront. So off he went with his lunchbox and it was God's purpose that he put up with the taunts even from his brothers after he made the delivery Sort of, you know, your little twerp, get out of here. This is not your business. Read the story. But as soon as he got there, the Holy Spirit overtook him. He knew that it was God's time had arrived. And while everybody else, everybody else was cowering, unwilling to take on this overgrown gorilla, David saw an opportunity. God's place, God's time, God's purpose. Don't let anything or anyone hold you back from serving God's purpose is the moral of the story. Someone said, most people wish to serve God but in in an advisory capacity only. We're all very good at telling God what to do. God, you should do this. God, you should do that. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? But God doesn't require our, our advice. He wants our sacrifice. Men might praise our ability God wants your availability. Many lose lose their way by forgetting God's purposes for their life. It's easy to get sidetracked, easy to lose sight of the reason why we are here. If you live like this, you will live a wasted life. Let me tell you a story. The, uh, the Taj Mahal is, is one of the most famous buildings on earth and it is one of the most beautiful and, and, but it was actually started out as a tomb 
believe it or not. It is one of the most beautiful and costly tombs ever built. But there is something fascinating about its beginnings. In in, in 1629, when the favourite wife of Indian ruler Shah Jahan died, he ordered that a magnificent tomb be built as a memorial to her. Now, the Shah placed the, the wife's casket in the middle of a parcel of land and construction of the temple began around it. But several years into the venture, the Shah's grief for his wife gave way to a passion for the project. One day, while he was surveying the site, he reportedly stumbled upon a wooden box and he had some workers throw it out. And it was months after that he realised that his wife's casket had been destroyed. The original purpose for the memorial became lost in the details for the construction. Why are we doing what we're doing again? How easy it is to lose the big picture and lose our way in the minuscule details. There is a, there is a saying, and I followed this up, there is a saying that says the devil is in the detail. It's actually a, a, it's been changed in, in about the 90s. The original saying that goes back centuries was God is in the detail. And somehow it's been changed to the devil is in the detail. Gee, that's a big change, isn't it? Uh, what the devil does do is he makes us lose our way because we have lost our sense of perspective. It's the old forest for the trees thing. We are here to serve God's purpose. Why? So that God may be all in all. And that's another big statement that we find in 1 Corinthians 15:28. God may be all in all. And this is our purpose statement at Liverpool Baptist Church. To glorify God by providing opportunities for worship and teaching. To bring people to Jesus and into the fellowship of his family. Leading them to Christ-like maturity. Equipping them for service in the church and effective witness in the world. That is Liverpool Baptist Church purpose statement. Let me read that again. To glorify God by providing opportunities for worship and teaching, to bring people to Jesus and into the fellowship of his family, and leading them to Christ-like maturity, equipping them for service in the church and effective witness in the world. This is what God has called us to do. We're not here just simply buying our time, bidding our time, waiting to go to heaven. Before we get there, we have to fulfil God's purpose. And Christ's church, his church actually provides that opportunity. Serving God's purpose means that you run in his schedule, not yours. 
the simple excuse, I don't have time, is just that. It's simply an excuse. Make time. We always make time for that which is important. Let's go back to our verse. David served God's purpose, where? In his generation. The people whom God raises raises up from generation to generation are meant to mainly to serve the, the purpose of God in that generation. This is true of people, it is true of churches. It may be the case that God will use the, the ministry, the witness of an individual or of a church to go on ministering long after they are gone. We've, we've seen some wonderful example of this, of some great churches, some great men and women who have gone into the mission field and have had tremendous impact for the kingdom tens of years, hundreds of years later. So long after they are gone, the impact of their life continues. Who decides that? It's not for us to decide. It's God. It may be our prayer that the ripple effect of our lives will go on for Christ's sake after we are dead. But God wants us to expend our energies ministering first and foremost to our generation. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. For example, David wrote many psalms and his deeds, his victories, his accomplishments under God are legendary. Not to mention his seed through which the promised Messiah came. But whatever else overflowed from his life, they were simply ripples, like a rock thrown in a pond of a life surrendered, given to the purpose of God for his generation. There was a time for him to sleep under the stars, tending sheep. There was a time for him to hide in caves with his men while fleeing from Saul. There was a time for him to live in the palace with all the glitter and all the gold. A time for him to receive the adulation from his population. But he was in every way a man of his own generation. Does this mean that we have to be contemporary? Well, the answer is yes and the answer is no. Have I got you confused? Probably. No, we are not going to be slaves to our culture. But yes, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.19, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save everybody. Some. Some. Sounds to me like a guy who was very much serving the purpose of God in his generation. Paul was contemporary, as contemporary as you can get. Did he get criticised for it? Well, you bet. 
If we are serving God's purpose in our generation, it is guaranteed that we will be criticised and ostracised. By the world, that's a given, that is a given, but many times we will receive friendly fire. Is there such a thing? Oh, yes, there is. From fellow Christians, fellow churches. William Booth, William Booth was the the founder of the Salvation Army and uh, there were lots, lots who criticised his methods and this is what he had to say, he says, we have no reputation to lose. (laughs) That's a good starting point, isn't it? We have no reputation to lose. We are not obliged to stop and consider what anybody will say. Everybody has settled it that we are fools. And therefore, we can go into a town and do exactly what we think best without taking the least notice of what anybody may say or wish. We have only to please God and get the people saved. End of quote. What does serving a generation involve? When preaching on this, on this verse, this is what... C.H. Spurgeon, this is the way he, he explained it. And he explained it in three ways, what serving our generation means. He, first of all, he says, first there is a, the part that is setting. Some are like the sun going down in the west. They will be gone soon. Serve them, dear brethren. You that are in health and vigour, comfort them, strengthen them and help them all you can. The second portion of our generation which we can serve is the part that is shining. And he said, I mean those in middle life who are like the sun at its zenith. They are working hard, bearing the burden and heat of the day. As yet their bones are full of marrow and they are strong men ready for service of the Lord. Seek to sustain their hands in every possible way. Then he says, especially, however, I want to speak to you about serving your own generation in the part that is rising. The young people who are like the sun in the east, as yet scarcely above the horizon. This part of our generation is especially the care of parents and Sunday school teachers, but let us not leave it entirely to them. We can, most of us, do something to serve this portion of our generation before we fall asleep. Beloved, he said, I commend to you care and attention to children and young people who are bound in our midst. In them lies our hope for the future of God's cause on earth. End of quote. Why do we put a lot of energy in our children and young people What about the rest of us? Well, apart from all the arguments that I could present from Scripture, I will simply give you a statistical one. The greatest number of people that we lose from our churches are in the ages between 10 and 19. Add to that, the average age of conversion to Christianity 
is 18 years. After that, they are very difficult to reach. And finally, 85% of people who come to Christ do so under the age of 25. 85%. These are the figures from the Billy Graham Association. I'm going to do a, just a hands up. How many of you became Christians who are here? How many of you became Christians under the age of 25? Majority, isn't it? There's your statistic. This is why we do what we do. This is why a lot of our energy is, is spent on this. This is why we go into the schools to teach. Our children's ministry, our youth, our brigades. David served the purpose of God in his generation. What then? And then he fell asleep. It means he died. Yay! The work is done. The worker is weary. He falls asleep. What else can he do? I like it that in many parts of Scripture when referring to the, to the believer's death, the Bible refers, instead of saying they died, it says about them they fell asleep. Why is that? Well, death is final, isn't it? Asleep is something to wake up from in a new day, a new dawn. Apparently in the early church at deathbeds they would not say goodbye but rather they would say goodnight. Goodnight. Why? We will see each other in the morning. It's good, isn't it? And better than most we would say David served his generation so well. But he did not go to sleep till his work was done. But when, when his work was done, he fell asleep. And what's more, he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. And here is a verse that you should know. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. In every stage of life. Some of us are ready to go to heaven. I'm not going to ask for the hands up because I know how many I'm going to get. It's too young, brother. It's too young. (laughs) Um, But God keeps us here. If he has us here, it's for a reason. The work is not yet done. Despite the pain, despite the ongoing tiredness that we feel, if we're still alive, it means 
there is still work to be done. Most importantly, he abides with us in every stage of life. We're going to sing that song. We'll ask the music team. We're going to sing that song, 10,000 Reasons, that has that line in there, isn't it? So let us sing and then we will conclude with Man of Sorrows.